Support for Sponsor Talk and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Welcome to the Sponsor Talk Podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways at how brands interact with properties within sports, film, music, the arts, you name it. I'm today's co-host, Avish Sood. You can follow me at Avish Sood on Twitter to engage with our Sponsor Talk community. And hopefully today you've learned something new about the industry and it keeps challenging you to think differently. We have a great guest with us, Diona Witter, uh, who's in her third season with the Houston Dynamo and Dash and serves as the club's chief revenue officer. So instead of me doing the introduction, Diana, welcome to the show and, and appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, th- well, thank you. I know we talked briefly about the Dash starting on Friday, the Dynamo coming up in terms of the season opener. So mm-hmm. appreciate you taking the time and, and sparing an hour for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So listen, we, we always try to start these episodes and these conversations off with a quick Cole's notes of a career journey. So would love to hear yours. How, how'd you get to the role now? And, and what was that journey like? Yeah, so um, I'll do this as fast as I can, because it could be a long story or a short story. But to give you a little background, um, you know, obviously grew up as an athlete. Um, being an athlete was sort of like gave me purpose. And I knew when I was like 14, I was gonna, I wanted to work for a sports team. So I knew very young that I wanted to work for a sports team. I had some great experiences. I'm um, going to Pistons games growing up. I'm from Flint, Michigan originally. And um, I had this one experience was at a game and I saw these people like walk around in suits. And I said, I don't know what those people do, but I'm going to do that, which inspired me to want to go to college to become mm-hmm. a professional at a sports team. I'm a first-generation college student, uh, went to Central Michigan University um, on a almost full-ride scholarship, um, thankfully. Um, I did not have financial backing to go outside, you know, so I thought I was going to go to college um, as an athlete, and Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, academics and this opportunity to go to Central um, presented itself, Um, so I was lucky to go there and and study marketing and advertising, but again, knowing that I was going to want to take that experience to a sports team someday. And Deanna, let's stop there for a second. So when you saw those folks in suits, um, did you know that they were marketers? Like, how'd you settle on marketing at Central Michigan? So at my freshman year at Central, um, so Central was the, the, the division one school. It was the best school that I applied to. So and I knew one person that I went to college. And, and um, so I knew like that was a good school. That, so that's not very sophisticated, but honestly, that's just the environment I grew up in. Fair and so I went to Central and at first I thought I wanted to be on the bench as a maybe athletic trainer. Like that's how I could stay a part of the team. And I hated that. My fresh, my, my, my uh, first semester freshman year, I hated the experience. It was like torture watching somebody live out the dream of playing. And um, so I went on the, the Pistons website and on the Pistons website, they were having a job fair. So I go out to that job fair as a freshman and I just started asking questions. Who are the people in suits? Who is it that you hire out of college? What are the opportunities? And what recommendations do you have for somebody like myself who wants to get there? And they were so giving and and gave me some really great advice, told me about sales, told me about the path. 
and then recommended um, marketing because it's sort of like the science behind the sale. If you understand the science behind the sale, imagine what you could do with that. If you couple that with energy and salesmanship, um, that could be that could be really Im- impactful. So that's why I switched. So freshman on, I I uh, made the change and um, and made sure that I, I was trying to graduate within four years because my scholarship expired after four years. So I had to get it done in time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then so uh, you know going out of university. Yeah. Where did you start so your my, career? I know you spent a lot of time with the NBA, but give us that that story too. Yeah, yeah. So my senior year, um, I was invited to an NBA career fair that was held in Chicago. The the NBA league office in partnership with Teamwork Online used to host a exclusive um, career fair for um, recently or upcoming graduating college students. So I was invited to that career fair and I walked away from that experience with six job offers with six different teams. Wow. And so I, I narrowed it down um, and I went with the Indiana Pacers. Um, so my first job opportunities with the Pacers, um, I started off in group sales. Um, I sold groups, I sold group tickets for the, for the Pacers for two years. And then um, after two years, I ended up taking, um, I, I was really interested of, of taking a leadership route after that and to, to really um, expand my opportunities and go wider with my experience. I went to the Detroit Lions to sell season tickets in 08. Mm-hmm. Um, I was with the Lions for about six months and I got a call from the Pacers to come back um, with, for an opportunity to be the director of group sales. So now I got my leadership opportunity, go back to the Pacers. Um, I spent another four years with the Pacers, um, growing from the director of group sales to ultimately the senior director of ticket sales and service. Um, from there, um, I was ready for more, to be honest with you, and, and ultimately more wasn't, wasn't presented or the opportunity wasn't there with the Pacers. Um, so I started to explore and during my exploratory phase, um, I got, a, I got reached out, um, to by the NBA league office. Mm-hmm. And so at th- that time I, um, I then went out to New York and, um, took a job with, um, the NBA league office and Teambo as team marketing business operations, like an internal marketing firm for the league office. And crazy enough, when I took the job with the league, I found out not only was I pregnant, but I was pregnant with twins. So my husband and I ended up not moving to New York, um, moved to Michigan, back to Michigan from Indianapolis. And I, um, I worked, basically I traveled every week. So I would go to New York on Monday and then uh, leave New York Monday night after my Monday meetings and be in a market for the week and then repeat uh, for, the, for another two years I did that job. So pregnant and then the, my twins were about 15 months when I left the league. And, and then so how'd you, how'd you, how'd you balance all that? Because I mean, <laughs> two twins, like, I mean, like, uh, how'd you balance it with the NBA job? You know, it was, it was interesting. Um, it wasn't about balance really, you know, and I, I always try to realize like, it's about defining a lifestyle and, mm-hmm. you know, you sort of accept, you know, the things that you want in life. I wanted, I wanted to be a mom. I wanted to have a family. Now you, you don't choose twins, right? That just sort of happens to you. Um, and I wanted to continue to grow and impact the league and this, this great opportunity they had the league office. So um, it was never a question of me not taking it or continuing on with the opportunity. It just required some sacrifices. And, you know, my husband um, stopped working. He was a, he's a registered nurse. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so he stopped working and he stayed home with the twins. And so that's sort of how we, we sort of divided and conquered um, for those two years. And then in fact, you know, our twins are eight years old now and he still stays home. It's the best setup for us. And, how we manage our life. So mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And, so and after then, she, yeah. go ahead. No, I was going to say from there, like you, you ended up in Cleveland after a little while and then now in Houston. So 
keep, keep right. going on. Don't, don't let me interrupt. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. So, um, so Brad Sims is CRO at the Cavs. He was also um, a previous member of Teambo. So we had known each other. We never worked together, but we knew each other pretty well. And he recruited me to Cleveland to join him as his vice president of ticket sales and service. Mm-hmm. And the Cavs at that time were one of the worst teams in the league coming off one of the worst records they've had in a long time. And, and so I was excited to get there and make an impact and take what I had learned at the league office, learning what I learned over those two years and applying it for, um, for that city and that team. So um, the story goes three months later, LeBron makes the announcement. He's coming back to Cleveland mm-hmm. uh, on July and July 11th, you know, of uh, 2014 and everything in our business went from right side down to right side up overnight. <laughs> And it was pretty crazy. So my my time there was absolutely incredible. Um, it's almost a, a blur how incredible it was. Um, it was still challenging and we learned a lot and uh, we did a lot of incredible things. But you know, after five years with that team and accomplishing all the things we accomplished and learning what I learned, I, I was ready to, to take the next step in my career and hopefully take what I learned at the Cavs and contribute it to another club or a team. And also expand my my leadership capacities to oversee more than just ticket sales um, mm-hmm. and service areas of the business, but also take on sponsorship, corporate partnerships, and marketing. Um, and that opportunity was presented um, by John Walker, who was who was at the time he had just recently been in, um, been announced um, and given the position of president of the Houston Dynamo and Dash here down down here in Houston. We were we were um, reintroduced. He was actually in Memphis, so we knew of each other, but we never worked together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just seemed like a really great fit. And I was totally aligned with his mission and what he came down here to Houston for. And it aligned really perfectly with me as well. I saw a great opportunity to join MLS, join Houston, come down to Houston with my family and, and be a part of this club. Love it. So, um, you know, what's that transition been like? You obviously spend majority of your time with the NBA and, and in, the, in the, the world of basketball. So now transitioning to top tier North American soccer, you know, what's, what's been different? <laughs> you, know, you know, interesting enough, there's a lot of things that are very similar. Um, I mean, obviously you're playing at a different time of year, um, but both leagues are very innovative. They're young. The fan bases are sort of growing in terms of like generational. Um, both leagues are very innovative. I think the resources are obviously the bigger gaps at this point, but um, I think the, the desire to want to be successful and continue to grow the game in this country is the key factor here. So, um, which, which has been, which has been just an awesome experience for me personally to be down here in Houston and sort of take again, my learnings from the NBA and apply them here to, in Houston with the, the dynamo and the dash and seeing the growth happen right in front of our eyes has been um, very rewarding, I think for my team and, and for the club. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, and when I look at your career story, I mean, obviously, um, lots of growth in such a short amount of time. And I know when you talked about Indiana, you were looking for that leadership role. Um, you, you, you know where you are now um, mm-hmm. as a chief revenue officer. Like when you look back at this, like what do you think throughout that career a lot of younger professionals could learn? Or um, when, when you think about your career, like what do you attribute that success to and, and that quick growth? That's a good question. You know, I... Um... I think that the key for me has been, I always know what I'm working toward the minute I, from a personal growth perspective, the minute I step foot into the organization. I don't know if that's the path I want to take. So for example, when I got to, um, when I was in Indiana, you know, and I went back as a senior director, so I went back as the director of group sales. I knew I was working toward wanting to be in a position 
that I could be a VP of ticket sales. Now, ultimately I could have changed my mind and went another way, but I knew I was working toward that. So immediately I can start to work toward those areas, gain experiences that would put me in the right position, um, take curiosity paths again to learn the insights and what it takes to be a vice president as a leader. And then also I can line up and align myself with the right mentors and supporters along the path to help feed me with the things I need to understand so that I'm becoming that person that I hope that I can be it, be so I can make the contributions I ultimately see myself wanting to make once I get to that opportunity. And I, it's been like that ever since I was 14 years old. I, you know, that was the interesting thing. So I've been working toward the next step immediately. And I think it's, I think it's played a significant impact on sort of my, my growth curve um, or, or growth of, of, my, of my career um, so far. So it's a, it's a big part of it. Yeah, I love that. I think, um, you know, I kind of want, I, I didn't at the beginning talk that much about the role that you're in right now. So I'm glad you mm-hmm. gave that intro. I'm glad you talked to the career story. But for anyone listening, you know, obviously, Diana, you're uh, responsible for revenue generation, sponsorships, partnerships, um, execution for the club, ticket sales. There's a whole bunch of things that are coming under the CRO role and your team mm-hmm. overlooks. Um, so I'd love to talk about this last year in that role, right? So third season with the club, you know, when you think about this last year, it's been crazy, right? Um, yeah, really everyone, crazy. <laughs> everyone in the sports industry specifically had to pivot. Um, people are tired of hearing about make goods and pivoting and, and all these adaptation words. But, you know, when you think about this last year, what, what did you learn about yourself and the team that you're working for and, and the team that you're working with in terms of, you know, um, some of the challenges you faced? What, what did you learn throughout that process? Yeah, I think I think I was ultimately um, just to start off, I think it was really comforting to know that we weren't weren't going through it alone. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that was one thing. And I recall a conversation I had probably you know, a couple months into the pandemic and somebody sort of having a conversation with me, like, how does this compare to like the NBA lockout? You know, I said, you know what, like the NBA lockout was harder because it was so isolated to the league. And it was yeah. like, that was happening to the league and it was preventable. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like this, this unknown force that nobody has control about um, control over. And we're all just sort of, you know, going through each day together, trying to like take learnings um, one step at a time. And so I thought the NBA lockout experience was harder than, you know, the, the pandemic was, but the, the key here for me was just, I don't know, the biggest learning was just re- how important, how important it was to remember the end goal and that it's, and that is to serve our community, our fans, our partners, and just continuously, you know, continue to make and create these memorable experiences and deliver on the investment they made in our club mm-hmm. and what we what we serve to them in their lives and to the community of Houston. And so we just kept that in mind. And I think that was really, really important. We didn't fuss over the, the revenues so much. I mean, this wasn't a time to make money. This was a time to build our relationships up. And what we were going to do in this one moment could have an impact ultimately on you know who we were and how people perceived us moving forward. So we had to make really um, smart moves in terms of like be less of a company but more like a human. You know, we mm-hmm. we as a brand as our as our club um, is very similar to a person, and we had to understand that connection the club had with each of those um, individuals that are connected back to us. So I thought that was um, a really big one, and and then. Um, you know, when it comes to the team and just from a leadership perspective, you know, it, it was about continuing to build on, um, it was really, really important to continue to build on the culture that we were building. I mean, 
to take you back a little bit, November 18 is when the president, John Walker, joined the club. I joined in February of 19. And then I had a complete almost turnover of my team. And we we're just like, you know, moving on full cylinders and really starting to establish this foundation of our new culture. And then everything shut down and we're physically not together anymore. And that was really, you know, kind of concerning a little bit. But then yet it was interesting, like, we, it was it was like a nice um, measure to see like okay we have done some really good things because ultimately culture is not always the environment we think it has to do a lot with environment but it's a mindset and that was already established and I we were able to see that come true and that environment so it was, it was it was actually nice to sort of test where we were from a culture perspective and making sure we had the right people um, in the organization on the team so I thought that was a, a great learning for us I'm very confident moving forward. And then the last thing I would say is personally, um, I learned I either do not have a panic button or that my panic button is broken because <laughs> like, I never felt like I, I, I don't know what it was, but like I never felt or saw the situation um, like and it's like like I was never freaking out about what was happening next. I just sort of had this like clear perspective and this positive outlook that we're going to get through this together. We're going to take every day, one day at a time keeping the end goal in mind, but we're going to take it each day, understanding that the decisions we make today will impact that end goal. So we have to make smart decisions, um, again, considering what's best for our partners and our fans and our community. And I thought that was clear. And um, so, yeah, it was nice to know I didn't have, you know, that sort of panic moment, but um, now I'm questioning if I should have panicked. I don't know. (laughs) I guess I'll find out. No, no. That means you handled stress well, which is good. (laughs) I think, um, Part of what you're saying is that, you know, dealing with an issue globally like this in knowing that it's not unique to, you know, your situation in the lockout with the NBA or in any other situations people deal with, we're all facing this together, right? And so you can only control what you can control. And I think sometimes when you have a situation like that, there's reassurance in knowing that you're not alone. Um, Right, that's true. Yes, very much. And then the other thing I thought was really interesting is it seems like it's a it's a time for rediscovery, right? So like you're discovering rediscovering your brand and and you know your culture, all these elements that you know you might not have had time to to look at or think about. I know that I felt this way, um, and a lot of people, you know, I kind of resonated that with your story. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to say was, you know, it wasn't the time for profits. This is what you what I heard from you. Um, but it was a time of like, you know, focusing in on our communities, right? So whether that be sponsors and and the people that make up the city of Houston, what can you do as a brand to be more empathetic and kind of be something bigger than just a team, right? I think that's amazing. Yes, absolutely. That was our key focus for sure. Yeah. Um, So I want to talk about uh, a deal specifically that you did six months ago or your team has done um, with SeatGeek. So, you know, when we think about coming out of this pandemic and then with the season opening up soon um, and then for season's future, like when you think about the SeatGeek partnership, it is around contactless mobile entry. It's an easier and simpler way to kind of bring the ticketing process together um, and it's safer, right? So when you, when you look at your stadium or fans coming back to the stadium at a large scale, what else are you thinking about outside of ticketing? Like, is there disinfection protocols, fan separation? What kind of things are you exploring um, as you think about fans coming back in? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really twofold. Uh, safety is the is our priority um, for our fans when they come back, and you know, our our stadium um, our stadium team is really responsible on uh, making sure that all the protocols and the guidelines are 
executed, outlined and executed for the for the stadium. Um, and then we obviously have to communicate those things to our fans and anybody coming into the stadium or are going to be guests of the stadium. And the second is how do you have a safe environment, but also make sure the experience is still top notch. You know, I think that those two things, sometimes safe is not always fun. <laughs> so, and we learned, you know, we learned some of those challenges. We actually um, opened up our stadium last fall for our return to play. Um, sort of the second half of the season for return to play, we hosted six matches with 3000 people socially distanced with all the protocols in place. And so, you know, I think execution wise, we learned a lot. Um, it was very successful. People felt safe. I felt more safe at our stadium than I have in any other public space at that point. Um, and now we're increasing those capacities to 30% of the stadium. So we'll have um, just under 6,500 fans to kick off the season. And then we're hopeful that we're going to be able to, um, you know, increase those capacities and then eventually get to 100% by summer um, or midsummer. Um, and it's all, it's all, you know, different things that we're, we're working through. But, um, but yeah, safety is, is huge. And so the Seagate partnership was, uh, was a fantastic one. And that launched at the perfect time. The conversations had been having, we had been having those conversations with SeatGeek and even potential other partners um, for the past year um, as we knew our, our um, previous relationship with access ticketing was up for renewal. Um, and I think one of the key factors was the fact that, to your point, the mobile ticketing platform and their buying experience and the transfer experience and the mobile experience of coming in and out of the stadium um, was, a, was a key factor because that happened during you know, the COVID conversations. We knew that we were going to have to make a transition to go to 100% digital. Um, in addition to SeatGeek, we also teamed up with Fortress. Um, it's not a corporate partnership, but it, it connects to that. So that's our ingress, um, our access control system. So um, everybody with the mobile device will be able to scan in on a, like on a um, pedestal. It's like a digital pedestal that's self-standing. So you don't have any interactions with a human at that point, which is nice or close to contact with the, with the GSR. Um, mm -hmm. And then all of our, um, our uh, everything from... Um, our system with our concession stands in terms of registers and concessionaire, um, that's all been flipped as well to bypass. So we'll, we'll have mobile um, payments as well. Um, and we won't, we'll be completely cashless in that regard. So um, another move that we made um, in terms of revenue areas um, to make sure things are safe and making that transition. And then obviously the disinfecting of the stadium, again, all through the stadium team, but mm -hmm. everybody's gonna wear masks. We still have socially distanced pods um, but those are, those are the key factors, safe and fun. How do we make it safe and fun? Yeah. And, and I, obviously everyone's excited to get back into arena start, like, you know, from a, a crowd feeling standpoint, but at the yeah. same time, a safety and security, um, thought process. A lot of people are excited, but hesitant, right? So it's, it's exciting to hear how much the team is doing to kind of bring that forward with the stadium side. Yeah. It's um, been, it's been fantastic. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, so this is a sponsorship podcast. Would love to talk a little bit about your team's approach into, you know, whether it be managing new sponsors, working with the current ones. So I kind of want to start with one of my favorite partnerships from your team, um, the, uh, the sponsorship deal with MD Anderson, right? So it's, it was the first season-long cause-related jersey sponsorship in the history of MLS. Um, it launched in 2018. But I would love to, to kind of hear from you and, and talk to you about the importance behind that and, you know, supporting an organization like MD Anderson, you know, what, it, what does it mean to your organization as you think about CSR, brand purpose, and, and where you see the brand going? Yeah, I mean, this, this relationship is, is very significant to us. Um, anytime that you can have a partnership such as this that allows your club and your team to play with purpose. 
you know, in the, that's the, the best part. I mean, we obviously we're, we're, we're working to win. We're, tr- you know, we're working to, to bring championships to Houston, but on the, on the other side of it, it's incredible that we're playing for something um, so big as to end cancer. And mm-hmm. this partnership embodies that significantly and the, and the actions that are sort of um, outlined in this relationship um, allow us to really put, put that at the forefront of who we are as an organization, organization in terms of our brand as well. I mean, we put it, it's right there, threaded on our, on our jerseys, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's significant. Um, and I think the biggest thing for us is that, you know, it provides us the opportunity to, like I said, play with purpose. Um, it's, a, it's a cause greater than the game, which is, which is really important um, to remember like what we're playing for. Um, and, and then we also get involved and we contribute to cancer prevention, edu- um, cancer prevention and education, um, community outreach. Um, we support their programs. We celebrate survivorship um, and we help raise funds. Um, mm-hmm. We participate in a number of things to help us help them raise money um, again to with, with really the one goal in mind. And that's the end cancer once and for all. So um, it's a it's a very meaningful partnership um, and we, we take it. Um, we, we don't take it lightly. We know the responsibility is a big one. Have, have, have any of the players mentioned anything about that feeling? Because I feel like, you know, when you think about um, Major League Soccer, soccer in general, teams are playing with usually a corporation on the front. But this is one of the unique examples where they're playing for something that is, you know, a non like it's it's really meaning something. Like have the players yeah. ever mentioned that? Yeah, actually. So we have to, um, we have a couple of players that actually serve as ambassadors for them. Um, oh, is that right? And yeah, so when we in the partnership, it's outlined in there. Um, if we have any players that have a personal connection or story to cancer, cancer related mm-hmm. um, prevention or survivorship, or even maybe even lost someone someone to cancer, um, and it's amazing how. Um, how people come forth with the with that information because they know by telling their personal story how it can help others mm-hmm. um, as well. So we've had players actually on camera. We've done a number of, of pieces with MD Anderson to share in those stories. But um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it's it's big and I think it's meaningful to them to know that um, again, it's not about it goes back to the sort of like it's not always about revenue. It's about doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's still a true partnership, but you know, again, it has just this other layer of meaning um, that goes way beyond just your traditional, to your point, corporate brand looking to amplify the brand. They're looking to amplify a message that can mm-hmm. ultimately save lives. Yeah, and I, and I think at the true essence of a partnership, like you know, when you're working with brands like that, um, it really instills meaning not only for the team, the organization, but the fans, right? Like they're they're cheering for something. Um, especially for a brand that goes beyond that. So I think that's exciting. Um, The other thing I wanted to talk about was recently in the last month or so, I think you guys have been working with Kroger um, and and kind of ensuring that vaccinations were moving smoothly with both the staff, the players. Can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, what that looked like over the last month or two? Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, we recently renewed our relationship with Kroger, uh, which is exciting. They're a great partner to have. Um, and they also expanded their, their relationship um, to also include the Houston Dash, which I thought was fantastic. And um, they reached out to us, actually, and shared with us that they were going to be a part of making sure that we administer vaccines across the city. And they, they reached out and said they wanted to help us and be a part of um, our process. And they, it would be an honor to vaccinate our club, starting mm-hmm. with our players and then our front office. Um, so that was, a, again, that's true partnership right there. I mean, we didn't ask them, they, they came to us. And then um, we actually held that last Monday and Tuesday, they came out to our performance center where the players have their 
practices our practice facility. And um, for two days, they they administered the first round of shots um, and they'll come back out, I think the end of this month and do the next round. And it was important for us too. Like we know that again, going back to just, a, you know the role we play in the power of sports and the platform of sports, seeing our athletes get the vaccination and showing that and sharing that with our community, hopefully will inspire other people to also get their vaccination. So we're all playing a role in making sure that um, we're playing our part to make sure that the people get vaccinated and that we can get back to normal. <laughs> you know, I think that's, yeah. that's important. Yeah. So we, we, we understand the, the platform, the power of our voice and, and the shared voice that we have with Kroger on that. And, and it's amazing to see Kroger coming forward and, and kind of pushing that message and pushing that initiative with you. Right. So I think, yeah. um, you know, I, I would have assumed that it was something that was led by your side, but it sounds like, you know, they had a very active role in that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, one, one thing is you can imagine as a sports team um, and one thing we were cautious about, we didn't want to ask to like jump the line, you know, mm-hmm. you know, there's other individuals that obviously need the vaccination. So we didn't, we didn't want to make a request in that way. Um, you know, I think it was important that we, we, that it was like when it's our time, it will be our time to get our vaccination, especially for our players. Um, but they reached out to us and just shared sort of the significance of it. And we have a high population of Hispanic fan base. And we, we know that that's a, um, an area, anybody in terms of the African-American community, the Hispanic community, and the, the high rates of COVID in those communities, mm-hmm. it's important that we get vaccinated. And so, um, again, I think the power of sports, the platform of sports allows us to hopefully have a, a, a larger reach in that message and how important it is to get vaccinated and that it's safe. And so we wanted, you know, for players, you're going to do it. It's safe for our players. Hopefully it's safe for you. And we, again, I think that that true partnership came together of them reaching out to us, which is, which is fantastic. And, and hopefully that message resonates with a lot of people because I think, uh, you know, as you mentioned, you have a platform, you know, the ability to spread that message and amplify it to a greater public in the community, um, especially people that, you know, might might need that message, then yeah. it's, it's great. Um, and, and so just leaning off what you were saying around Kroger um, and how they re, uh, they renewed as a partner, yeah. they renewed their partnership, um, you know, thinking about the women's side, right, with the Houston Dash, you came off this successful run in 2020. Um, the NWSL is just on this growth trajectory that is crazy. Yes. So, you know, what is your team doing to help, you know, build that momentum, capitalize on it, and, and in, like, you know, bring people in to the interest on the women's side that's going on right now? Yeah, to, to your note, I mean, yes, NWSL is definitely on this significant growth surge. Um, you know, I think our, our new commissioner, Lisa Baird, had just done a fantastic job in her first, what, weeks on the job. Um, and she started a pandemic, right? Like, Yeah, she started the <laughs> pandemic. She created, had the bubble, you know, up and running. And um, we were the first, you know, league to to play and compete in the bubble um, successfully, which I thought was fantastic. So there was a lot of power being out in front. Um, I think she knew that as a great opportunity to put us to the forefront and then, you know, create some of those headlines, um, which I thought was fantastic. And then just obviously maximizing off that. But um, luckily for us, you know, we, we went into that bubble and we won the, the challenge cup championship, the first ever. So we'll defend that this starting this Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, but that opportunity was, was a big one for us. And then also for us, you know, as I shared, you know, previously in the conversations, like our club is sort of going through this transformation under new leadership and new direction. And in 2019, um, I think it was clear that there was a great opportunity to create more equity for the dash in alignment with the dynamo um, and how we sort of viewed this. Yes, we're two teams, mm-hmm. but we're one club. And that was a big part of 
um, what we were building toward. And then it was really reflective in our rebrand uh, that was launched um, just this past November. So um, I know you can see my background with my, our logos, but there's a lot of synergies in terms of look and feel. But also I think the marketing team specifically, um, and I can't take credit for this, but I think they've done a fantastic job amplifying our brand voice from a dash perspective, increasing visibility across our social and digital channels. Mm -hmm. And so once we were going, you know, social and digital, as you know, like we get to control the message more rather than waiting for somebody to broadcast our game or tell our story or mm -hmm. talk about us in, in local news or, or media. Um, we get to sort of lead that conversation. And I think our team's done a fantastic job leading those conversations and amplifying amplifying that, that brand um, for us. And so I think that that was a key moment. And then for me on the revenue side, um, taking the one club mentality and be able to tell that story and tell the woman's story and that there is value in this game, value in the audience, as you know, that's always the conversation. And so conversations with MD Anderson, you know, they not only um, uh, extended, but they expanded their, their partnership to include the Dash kit. So in February of 2020, right before the pandemic, we had just launched the Jersey kit for the dash within the Anderson cancer center. Mm -hmm. um, Kroger also made a commitment um, to add and, and expand to the dash. And I think before it wasn't that they, they didn't see value in it. It just wasn't presented, um, mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting. So now there's more shared voice um, the one club. There's a lot of um, opportunity there and the conversations have been fantastic. And, in a way that's been growing um, our club. So we've, we've seen a, a increase in memberships as well as sponsorship investments. And we're gonna continue to build off that. I mean, my, my next thing is I would love to get our, our Dash on, on broadcast. I think that's like local broadcast like we do with Dynamo and just really aligning ourselves with the right partner um, mm -hmm. to be the partner of the broadcast, broadcast rights. So um, that's been a main focus on, on mine because you can tell, I mean, watching the NCAA tournament you know, if you've been paying any attention, I've been obsessed with it. Yep. Um, and I've always paid attention, but because the entire tournament was on, you know, yep. ESPN, it just allowed you to get more invested, you know, yep. and it kept building up and they didn't like, you didn't just get to see the end. You got to see the whole thing. Um, and because it's on TV, now there's more people engaging and there's more conversations on social. There's more reports, more news, more coverage. Um, and that's such a huge impact for our game. We got to get more coverage. We got to get more women's sports on, on, uh, on network TV, um, to get the visibility because with that visibility, but then we'll also then come in more investments, you know? So, um, I think that's, I think that's going to be a really important piece and something I really, really wanted to, um, make impact on. Yeah. Isn't it crazy what can happen when you get that level of visibility, right? So, you know, with the women's tournament for the NCAA, like, the amount of games broadcast is were incredible. And, and the right. fact that you can watch the storyline build with player to player, team to team, mm -hmm. and actually get invested in it versus watching just the final game, right? Like as, yes. as a consumer myself, you know, the storylines that are sometimes missing in the media, you know, this, I felt that it was there. And at the same time, you know, with, with all the conversations around inequity, seeing how the women were treated in the bubble environment with the weight rooms and the food, you know, you just, it gravitated a lot of people and hopefully that momentum continues to build over, you know, through the WNBA season, the NWSL season. Um, it seems like it's heading in a great direction. I think it is. I think it is too. And I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the NWSL, what we did, you know, um, the, the entire um, challenge cup, you know, uh, tournament was on CBS. You either That's watch right. on CBS all access or you watch it on CBS, you know, uh, network, depending on, you know, the schedule. 
But the fact that it was like the entire tournament was available, like I was paying attention and watching matches that had nothing to do with the dash. I was so invested to your point in the storylines. Yep. I started to pick like players I was interested in. I was never that invested. I'm usually only invested in my own team. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it was there for me to consume. And when, you know, the broadcasters of my games were talking about like a matchup or a connection to another team, it made me want to like get more and need, I needed more. Mm-hmm. And um, I th- I'm hoping that that continues. Um, and the ESPNs of the world, the CBS of the world, and, you know, anybody who has the opportunity to, to make an investment. And in, in, I don't know if it's a risk. It's just about finding the opportunity to, to just, you know, dive into it and, and embrace it is, is going to be the key factor here. And then I think everything else will continue to grow with it, um, yeah. which is exciting. And, and what I love is that they're also uh, working with Twitch and, and other newer platforms that expose a younger audience to the game. Right. So when Absolutely. you're building fans, this is all great signs of building them long term versus just, you know, excitement for this period of time. Let's make sure this is sustainable for the long term. And it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair. Um, so listen, I know that you're very passionate about this space, uh, DE&I as well. Right. So let's talk about what you do on the side. Right. So you have your own podcast with Women Blazers season two. Little plug here. Um, you know, <laughs> Thank what, you. what can people expect from this season and and why do you do it why do you do it outside of your work uh it's a it's a it's a passion project and it was launched you know it's launched and still is a passion project of mine um i'll go i'll go there are two main motivators for me um to launch it first um you know i wanted to inspire more women to pursue revenue generating areas of Mm. opportunity i'm in the revenue vertical so for for me at first it's been about you know, wanting to see more women take this path. Um, and then also just sort of break through those sort of perceived barriers or barriers that are actually are there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was important. Um, and then I also just, you know, and then obviously through this, the power of storytelling, because uh, it's a conversation. And then secondly, um, there's a perception in this industry that it's dominated by men. And I wanted to amplify the profiles of the women who are dominating in this industry. I mean, there's a lot of badass women doing some incredible things. And it's unfortunate that you don't know them. It goes right back to sort of the conversation we were just having about, you know, seeing women on TV. Well, if you don't see women on the stage at conferences or seeing, Mm -hmm. you know, them in articles and talking about the work they're doing, then almost like you don't exist. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to create a platform um, to tell their stories and to amplify who those those women are um, as well. So I I thought that was a great opportunity. And then when you listen, you tune in, I mean, basically you're going to expect to hear real talk about experiences, mm-hmm. past decision-making, um, responsibilities, lifestyles, relationships, and ultimately some advice um, based on their own personal experiences. Yeah. And I know a ton of people that follow along and, and um, you know, appreciate everything that you're doing to kind of shape that next generation of leaders in, in revenue generation. Cause I think, um, you know, we, we can all use a little bit of a more diverse field and at the same time, encourage others to join along in that field. So um, appreciate all you do there. Uh, it's great work. Thank you. I, I don't know what I'm doing some days, but I'm, nobody I'm knows trying, what they're you know, doing. <laughs> I know like, yeah, it's like you don't know how to like run or start a podcast, but again, I just thought it was a great platform to utilize um, yeah. to, to again, share these great conversations I was having. And I learned so much from other people. Um, why not sort of broadcast those learnings and not just keep them for myself, but if I'm going to have these conversations, I want to share them and hopefully other people learn. And the, um, 
the uh, response, especially in the beginning, was just overwhelming. I didn't realize how much it was needed until it was launched. And I thought that yeah. that was that was important. So it's, um again, it's a passion project. It's very meaningful work for me to have the conversations and to publish them. And um, I hope I can do it as long as I can. And more women, you know, more women conversations are fantastic. I can, I have enough women right now for like five seasons. So that shows you how, <laughs> how incredible and how many women are out there that are just doing awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, you know, I know that you're usually behind the scenes and you're usually in my role, but mm-hmm. I would love to, to kind of flip the switch and saying, you know, working in revenue generation as, you know, as a black woman, as a woman of color, you know, what do you see as the biggest challenge that prevents um, other BIPOC women or, you know, women in general to getting a seat on the table within the industry? What are, what are some of those challenges? Well, um, I think the key here, let me go back. I'll tell it from a personal perspective, because I think that, I think if you talk to any woman, they're going to have a different perspective of challenges based on their own personal experiences. Right. No doubt, so, for sure. so, so for my personal experience, um, I think it's first, it was recognizing that there's, there's one seat at the table that represents revenue leadership for me. Mm-hmm. And it's a competition almost like who's going to get that seat, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, yes, it's male dominated, but what I recognized really early on, not the, at the Pacers, um, when I said I wanted to be a vice president, when I knew I was like, okay, I want to be a vice president. And at the time there was one vice president woman in ticket sales and service and Gretchen Shearer, who's at the Houston Rockets and serves as the CRO there. Um, she was the only one. And I thought, man, this is crazy. Like to go into a conference of NBA executives and having this one woman who mm-hmm. also is a mother of twins, which is bizarre. Um, <laughs> like she's like what the, are the ultimate. Chances? I know, right? Like she's like the ultimate, you know, woman for me. And I ended up like doing everything that, you know, trying to follow in her footsteps. But um, but the key I noticed was that across, if you just analyze the men itself, mm-hmm. it's not that the the the, the individuals that were growing in their careers, accelerating their careers, mm-hmm. these individuals were dominant individuals. Mm-hmm. So I thought to myself, if I just ignore the noise of this concept, this is male dominated and just realize it's a dominated industry mm-hmm. and focus on that specifically. And I focus on just dominating in each role that I was in, then I could essentially hopefully put myself in a position where the seat would be mine outright. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about revenue, and I wish this was the case for all roles, but numbers are black and white, Mm -hmm. right? Like you can't, numbers don't lie. So I have sort of an advantage. And I think anybody who takes this path has an opportunity to take advantage of the fact that the numbers don't lie. And so I took this, you know, I took the principles I learned as an athlete and I took my approach, like I'm being an athlete of this industry in in, in the sense that I I can walk in, just analogy here, if you're looking at like a basketball team, right? And you're a freshman and you're going to join the freshman squad. I mean, I'm sorry, you're a freshman and you're joining, you know, to play in varsity or something. You can, mm-hmm. you can be promoted to the varsity team, right? You can make that team based on talent mm-hmm. and what you can contribute to the team. And not only can you be on the varsity team, but you can also be the captain. You can be the best player on that team. doesn't matter what you look like. doesn't matter your age and your experience. It matter, and the only thing that matters is talent. Sure. And so that's sort of how I've always kind of looked at it. Like, here's an opportunity where if I learn as much as I can, be a huge contributor and, and drove results, the fact that the, the other things that are barriers could be denied because I'm able to deliver. I could be somebody mm-hmm. you can rely on to contribute to those numbers. Um, now, I will say, I always feel like I'm a freshman. 
<laughs> like, I never feel like I'm actually <laughs> growing to be the varsity person sometimes, depending on the situation. Yep. But what happens often is that if you don't have the numbers, right? If that's not something that, that you're not in, a, in an area of the business where the numbers can't lie and it's like all based on somebody making a decision that you're the right person in the role based on your experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens is there's, there's conversations about fit. There's conversations about like trust and belief that somebody trusts and believes that you could mm-hmm. play that role in that organization based on title and the perception of what the title should look like let's say Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then relationships you know and I think when you look at an industry that's very driven on those relationships and you're not somebody who's relatable to that person it just creates a challenge and so you as an individual as a person looking to grow you have to really break through those barriers and find ways to relate you have to make a fit and then you get to take your authentic self from there so there's, there's a lot of challenges and barriers, I would say. My approach has been to focus on my numbers and, and sort of, like I said, dominate into those roles. And then, you know, I get to, I get to sort of continue to blaze my path from there, I guess. But um, there's, there's, it's interesting, but like I said, it just depends on the, the perspective of your personal experience and what you've experienced. And I've, I've been very blessed to, to grow some really great relationships, be connected to some really great individuals that have trusted me Mm-hmm. and believed in my ability and what I've been able to bring to their clubs or, or their teams. Yeah, 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 no, totally. I think um, you're right in the sense that, you know, with revenue generation, um, it is a little bit more black and white. Like, you you know, it's hard to argue against the numbers, but with with other fields, it's a little bit tougher. So, um, you know, I think it's great advice to also just say, don't uh, don't underthink the, the value of some of those intangible, you know, situations that you talked about, relationship yeah. building, all of that. Um, you know, sometimes it can be a challenge, but it's, it's definitely overcomable. And, and obviously both yourself and, uh, you know, all the other amazing women that you interview in the pod, um, are examples of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say my, my season this year, I've expanded my first season. If you listen to it, there's all, most of my conversations with, or with women who are leaders in revenue. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. now in season two, I'm expanding, you know, outside of revenue like communications and, team ups. And it's gonna be really interesting for my, me personally, even to explore these other areas and learn more about their experiences, what they've learned along the way. And, and um, maybe there's some more, you know, obviously distinct barriers that they've overcome and some advice that we'll be able to share with our audiences um, from what they, from their learnings as well. Amazing. Okay. So generally how we end these podcasts is we ask um, you know, the exec joining us to, to kind of just give their feedback, right? So, you know, if someone is listening at the younger stages of their career, um, what is your feedback to, you know, what they should be thinking about? And don't mind the little squeaks if you hear them in the background. That's my uh, puppy who's three months years old. Um, and I was just saying, do you have a dog on the floor? I can hear the squeaks. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's playing around. He just woke up. So oh, question is, uh, is, is all for you. And, and, you know, what's your advice for future leaders in the industry? Yeah, you know, I, I give this advice all the time. I think my, my main advice is, um, again, it goes sort of back to um, you know, knowing who you are and who, knowing who you are and who you want to be is one of the greatest assets you can have. And I think um, often we're told, and I don't know if this is like, we're told this as women or if we're told this in general when you're young, but like, you don't have to know it all or figure it all out now. And it's true, hmm. you don't, you really don't. But, um, but if you do, think about the power of that. And if you know what you want, then you can actually start to be developing and you can be on the right path early on 
Sure. So to become the person you want to be at a younger age. Um, and so it goes back to what you'd asked me in the beginning, um, sort of what was sort of the difference of, of how I got to where I'm at, of where I'm at in my stage of life. And I think that was it. I knew I wanted, you know, to lead. Um, you know, I knew I wanted to be a mother. Um, and I just wanted to, ultimately for me, the main inspiring thing was I wanted to change the path that was sort of laid out for myself. I wanted to create my own path of, of my life um, and what it looked like. And I was very motivated by those things. Knowing that early on allowed me to um, set a path, get on that path, and then again, just like find the right situations, um, the right people to bring along with me to help contribute to who I am today. Until you know those things, you're sort of out on your, on your by yourself, um, yeah. which makes it way more challenging. Yeah, you know what? It's great. It's great advice in general for anyone at any stage of their career, right? So it's just like mm-hmm. know where you want to be, take the active steps, and the earlier you can discover that, um, the better off you know you can work towards it. So appreciate appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, I got to go uh, take this guy for a little walk. But uh, <laughs> He's telling you, take me for a walk. That's so funny. <laughs> That's basically what it is. Yeah, I had a good hour and a half of him napping. So this was uh, this was great and appreciate, uh, you know, the conversation and, and good luck with the season. And um, fingers crossed for that media deal for the Dash uh, coming soon. Let's hope. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay, cheers. Thank you. Cheers. As always, thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and the sponsorship space on LinkedIn to join and engage with our community. Hope you enjoyed today's episode and have a great day.